Hi, everybody, and welcome to the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a damn hoot as a member of the Birthday Boys. You might also know him from a role on With Bob and David or the infamous Cold Stone date with Beyonce, as discussed on <laughs> Doughboys. Matt Kowalik is here. Yeah, with Bob and David, I uh, was a virgin. That's right. My, uh, it says virgin number seven, I believe, is my... So it's a very um, uh, huge credit. Yeah, illustrious. <laughs> it gives me so many meetings. <laughs> well, I thought you stood out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, but let's talk about your history with horror. How long you've been into it, where it all started for you, that kind of thing. You know, I am not a big horror fan. I love movies. I don't think it's a lesser genre. I, I've seen a, a good deal of horror and scary movies. Uh I think now I enjoy them more uh, that I can laugh at them, maybe, mm-hmm. like a child's play or a nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. But at the time of growing up when they were coming out, it was scary. <laughs> Mitch, uh, who has been a guest, uh, introduced me to a lot of horror movies in October. I lived with Mitch for a couple years, and in October, he'll only let you watch horror movies. <laughs> as, and so as we as only watched horror movies <laughs> all month. And, you know, he showed me some good stuff, like uh, Day of the Dead, and he showed me, you know, we watched everything from, uh, you know, Tales from the Hood, uh, things like that, yeah. you know? Yeah, Great. absolutely. Uh, the Thing, of course, he's obsessed with. <laughs> yeah, but Rosemary's Baby is like this movie that I had never seen until like a couple years ago, and it just has never left me. It's super creepy. I love it. I love that it plays... With like this, with the witches and the covens, and just like this, like possible satanic group and mysticism, yeah, and shit like that. Yeah, this was a good uh, reason to go back and watch it. I watched it twice this week. <laughs> there you go. Hey, and honestly, this is a great season for this movie. This is a perfect like end of summer, start of autumn movie. Um, yeah, because she has the baby in in June. Right, right at the end of June. So, yeah, so uh, it's summer as when the devil is born. That's right. (laughs) Year one. (laughs) Year one. It it sure was. So I'm curious then, as someone who is more removed from horror, is there a subgenre that lets you sort of slip in a little easier? What do you mean? Like, I guess there's like silly horrors, I guess like comedy horrors. Yeah, or uh, like um, Supernatural, if you're more into like ghosts than you are into slashers or something like that. Yeah, I hate torture porn. I hate that stuff. I can't watch it. Uh, Like stuff like Final Destination and the other one. What are the other ones that are like that? Saw. Hostile shit like yeah, I saw. Uh, I can't watch. I could never watch that. Yeah, this does not sound fun. Maybe in like a party setting, <laughs> which I've probably watched a couple of those types of movies in. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> yeah, it's just. Uh, but no, like I, I guess like yeah, I like supernatural stuff, ghosts, spooky, scary stuff. Uh, this one is definitely. It's a cool fucking scary movie. This movie mm-hmm. and it has. Just so many cool... Sh- it's very... It, it, obviously, it has some European flair in there with all the spooky stuff, but just, like, kind of just very expressionistic directing yeah. and spooky POV stuff. And that shot of her feet on the fucking... In the mattress on the ocean yeah, is, is beautiful and just a weird, dreamy, psychedelic, just trippy, scary... It feels like a fever dream sometimes, and uh, which I think is you know important for these COVID times. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a 
Uh, yeah, like those uh, fever dreams uh, and just her being drugged. Yeah, it's a fucked up movie. Yeah, it, it sure it, is. It's really creepy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so let's get into it. The movie we're talking about today, like you said, is Rosemary's Baby, the 1968 movie directed by Roman Polanski and adapted from the Ira Levin novel released the year previous. Now, I'll just get my little disclaimer out right away. Roman Polanski, rapist and fugitive. It's a yes. shame that movies terrible like man, this. Terrible yeah. human being, yeah. little little asshole, and <laughs> sure obviously is. rapist and things. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, uh, if you watch that Mia, there's a great documentary, a making of documentary that goes with this, the Roman and Mia. Yeah. And, and he just comes off as a little dickhead anyway. He sure so, does. <laughs> it's funny. He's <laughs> you know, not likable. Yeah. When I watched uh, Chinatown, which he's in, I didn't know he was in it at the time. And he's ju- he just goes on screen, and I just immediately was rubbed the wrong way by him. And I was like, oh, who is this little dweebazoid? And then in the it's credits, Roman. it rolls, and it was Roman. And I was like, I knew. He just had a bad vibe from the start. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's a shame that movies like this and Chinatown have to get asterisked, because they are really great. Um, and any endorsement of this movie is strictly about the movie. And you should check it out, people out there. I encourage you to do it in a way that might not put any money in Roman Polanski's pockets, with my apologies to other people who worked on this. They're all dead. They're yeah. all... Uh, <laughs> they all have profited enough. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, there we go. Out of the way. <laughs> yeah, that's the big thing. Even when I picked it, I was like, God damn it, it's fucking... This dude, the guy who made it, is a piece of shit, but this movie's so cool. So um, you came to this a few years ago. I'm curious if it's taken on new meaning for you as a parent, as you're you're sort of becoming more exposed to that side of life and and what this movie is kind of uh, relying on those instincts. Yeah, I have a kid who's about to be two in like two months. So, you know, the last two, three years have been all about like a pregnancy and then a baby and then taking care of the baby. And then during a pandemic. But yeah, I think as a parent, you well, you see the mother thing and there's, even though it is Satan's son, which I never, I, I just watched it for the, really watched it twice this week. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, she's raped by the devil in that <laughs> one scene. And you're like, oh, like it is the devil's son. It's not like they're giving up their firstborn. It mm. is the devil's son. You know, I'm, that's my child is not. Thank God. <laughs> Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Now you backpedal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look at my career. It's not exactly <laughs> doing great. You know, you might question it otherwise. <laughs> but it poses a fun question, which is like, would you, you know, it's like that, like, sell your soul to the devil type thing. But yeah. you're like, would you let your wife have the devil's baby and then you can have success? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's It really is interesting, especially because... There, there's the added moral question of like it, it's so easy for guy because he doesn't really have to do anything and so yeah. you can see how it would appeal to him why doesn't she get any good luck yeah you know what i mean yeah. like she should have a, a windfall of something <laughs> she's just in all this the whole that time she's gone that. through he's like you know she's got the devil growing inside of her you know? It's fucked up. It's fucked up. It is. It's a shitty deal for her <laughs> that she didn't even know she was making. That's right. The book of Rosemary's Baby was a smash hit. It was the best-selling horror novel of the 60s with over 4 million copies sold, and it really primed the nation for a horror boom. It's pretty hard to overstate the impact of the book, so the studios were really hustling to strike while the iron was hot. And last week on the show, we talked about William Castle... And he's actually the one who brought this book to Paramount Studios producer Robert Evans. 
Unfortunately, based on his reputation for gimmickry and low-budget filmmaking, they just straight up did not trust Castle to deliver the goods, even though they loved the book. So they said he could produce, but he wasn't allowed to direct, which is, boy, that's got to suck to hear. <laughs> but, I mean, the guy that gave it to at the time, I mean, like, he had made some good, like, movies, but the movie he made before this, I almost watched it. It was, like, Vampire Hunters or, excuse me, I think your fangs are in my neck or something like that. It's like a campy <laughs> yeah. Vampire Hunter movie. That's super silly. Yeah. Yeah. He So Roman Polanski was well regarded in film circles for the films he had done in Europe in 1965's Repulsion in particular, but he had not really crossed over to the U.S. yet at the time. And Robert Evans was hoping that Rosemary's Baby would actually be the project to do that because, like you said, the last movie was this campy vampire thing. And so people didn't really connect with it. So he said, this will be the one to make him uh, a huge hit over here. And he actually sent the script over with or he sent the book over with another script that Polanski was expecting and Polanski devoured the book and he agreed to direct it for $150,000 which is about a million 18 now but he said that he also wanted to write it which the studio agreed to and part of what's interesting about this is that Polanski took entire sections of the book whole cloth because of how much he liked it. And it's really interesting to see. I think that it lends a certain theatricality to the movie because there's these long conversation sequences that feel very much like a book, but they are translated really well because of not only the performances of the actors, but also his attention to detail. Yeah, it's it take, it's, a, it's a movie that takes its time and you get to like hang out with these characters for a while and really get to look at them. And especially like on, and it's just even better on second and third viewings when you watch them knowing what's going on. And uh, yeah, but it's just like, it really builds and it's, it's still a pretty tight screenplay. It happens. It's all structured well. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's not a bunch of shit moving around. I mean, it's really just this one person's journey. Yeah. Yeah. It so. does uh, clip right along, though. Uh, I think that it moves pretty quick considering the length. Yeah. It's a little over two hours, but it doesn't feel it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. It's fun. It's a fun... I mean, I like that it's, like, just the simple thing of, like, having these old neighbors that you befriend. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then they're like... And that's always never always a good thing, or it can be great, but then it being this terrible of a thing. Yeah. You know, it's pretty, uh, it's fun. It's interesting. Yeah. Cassavetes is a true jerk in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, oh my God, you're so unlikable and weird and like, just like a bad husband all around, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That performance feels so tied into Cassavetes himself as well. And it's interesting to read about the other people that they considered for the role, like Robert Redford turned down the role of Guy. And Jack Nicholson was also considered, but Polanski himself was the one who suggested Cassavetes for this role, and he really just knocks it out of the park. You know, every time I watch, there's new ways that his guilt expresses itself. Things that he, like, shouldn't know but jumps ahead of, or or, or his, his nervous, like, pacing around. He does a really great job, and it's kind of ironic that Polanski is the one who suggested him, considering how poorly they got along on set and the famous sniping that they did at each other once John became a director as well. Oh, yeah. I think, obviously, if it had been Jack, it would be, uh, you know, a movie I probably would have watched a lot earlier ago. Uh, <laughs> but that would have been really fun. Yeah. Robert Redford, not a fan. But I think, actually, in this role, he would be good because he's kind of a blank slate and mm. you would kind of, like, watch him. Maybe he, you know... But yeah, there's weird things where guy where when the baby starts moving, like he doesn't even want to touch it. Mm -hmm. 
You know, like yeah, it's not gonna bite. <laughs> just how he slowly type, just like a meat, uh, like the necklace that she gets. He like pers- was like, you should wear it if you took it. Yeah, you know, that's when you like kind of like oh, like you're in on this thing now, and you're you're you know yeah. So he, it's a slow build and it's a good like nudging of he does a good nudging job of mm-hmm. uh, getting her. You know, or you know, on board with this, or getting get, getting this done. Yeah, you know exactly. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite you know, he's he's a little mastermind, a little sociopath. He sure is. Um, considered for the titular part of Rosemary were Polanski's own fiance Sharon Tate, Tuesday Weld, Patty Duke, and Goldie Hawn. But the studio wanted more star power behind the movie since the book hadn't reached bestsellers list at this point in pre-production. So they convinced Mia Farrow to come out of retirement that was imposed on her by Frank Sinatra as a condition of their marriage, uh, leading to his serving her divorce papers on set. And she actually tried to leave and salvage her relationship, but then she watched an hour-long rough cut of the movie and was persuaded to stay by Polanski, uh, thankfully, because she's amazing as well. She does a really great job in what is a really difficult role to convey this descent into paranoia and still feel believable. She does a really spectacular job. Yeah. And she's so thin and haunting. Oh my gosh. Like just like becomes a skeleton in this movie. It's, you're just like worried about her the whole time. You know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. She does not look healthy and uh, barely gains any weight and just, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, there's, like, even Roman Polanski says some shitty thing. He's like, I don't think she's attractive or I didn't want her and stuff. Even that yeah. It's like, yeah, you know. Yeah, she's, and it, it's one of those, like, defining roles. Like, even though she was able to go on and do other comedy and stuff like that and other and other drama. And maybe it's probably just because her hair was so short in this that yeah. she just, like, she looks like a different person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really shocking when that that moment first happens when she reveals herself and she's all skeletal and she has the new haircut and everything it's yeah. uh it's even a as shock. it goes on like when she's like just the dark circles under her eyes mm-hmm. and then she becomes like almost gray <laughs> yeah it's intense creepy it's very yeah. intense they used the famous dakota hotel in new york as the exterior of the bramford building and built the interiors on a soundstage in la uh, although polanski had only been afforded 1.9 million to shoot his film his intense attention to detail and repeated takes caused delays that inflated the budget by another $400,000 and the schedule by three weeks. So he went way over. But it was well worth it because contemporary audiences loved it as much as we do today for the incredible dialogue brought to life and the oppressive atmosphere and paranoia that really oozes out of this movie. It made $33.4 million at the box office and got three Academy Award nominations. Mia Farrow lost Best Actress to not only Katherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter, but also Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl in what is the Academy's only tie to date. Wait, what was the tie? It was Uh, between who? Katherine Hepburn in The Lion in Winter and Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl. Sure. Okay. So she lost twice in one year. That's got to be rough. Yeah. Also, fucking given divorce papers on the set. Yeah. Like, it was delivered in front of everybody yeah. to shake her up. I'm sure it just helped her. She's kind of, it's kind of like uh, Shelley Long in The Shining, mm-hmm. you know, just tortured. Yeah. And just gives this performance because they're just like falling apart. Yeah. It, you know? um, 
It's wild. And and it's the kind of thing where you see someone putting their real life into the work in such an interesting way and really utilizing the emotions that they're feeling. And I think that that's part of what makes her such an intense actress in this. She's such an actress in this. She's so powerful and good. And just like, like oh, that's a fucking actress. Yeah. And you watch it. You know, <laughs> she's so good. Great close ups. Couple like when she says things, she'll say like, "This is really, this isn't a dream. This is really happening." Oh my gosh! Like she sells it well, yeah. And just like there's a couple like moments where there's like little Soto moments where she speaks to herself too. That like she sells well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when she's talking to the baby as well, you know that yeah. could come off very cheesy very easily. Yeah, but yeah, she does yeah. a good job with it for sure. Yeah. She's so good. Yeah. The one win that this movie did get at the Academy Awards was Ruth Gordon, who plays Minnie Cassavette, won the Supporting Actress Oscar. Uh, she's great as well. She's awesome. She's so great. I was re- I was looking her up. She was born in Quincy. Wow. Mike, Mitch- Mike Mitchell, I got to tell him. I'm sure he'll be excited to hear this news <laughs> that's been there his whole life. There's like some theater there called like the Ruth Gordon Amphitheater. Oh, wow. No, that makes sense then. Yeah. It's really funny to me that whatever uh, performance she's putting on for for like Rosemary in terms of like hiding that she's a Satanist, you can see so much of her actual like or the character's personality just comes through anyway. Like at the very end when Rosemary drops the knife. And she comes over and, like, rubs the floor to try and get the little mark yeah. out. You're like, oh, yeah. so this is really just who she was. It's very fun. She gives a really great yeah, performance. she just happens to be a Satanist <laughs> Yeah, with her husband. I feel like her husband's more of, I feel like she's supportive, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but he's definitely, a, 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 he's the one painting her, I think, with the red paint. Mm-hmm. So many funny, th- uh, crazy things, like, like, the casting of them two is amazing. I wonder in the book what the explanation is of the girl jumping out of the window. Maybe she saw something. I don't know. Yeah. Have you read the book? I haven't. I actually have it coming because I was interested in myself. I think that um, my understanding... There's be a backstory there. Yeah, I think it's that they were like... They came to her and were like, we want you to have Satan's baby. <laughs> and she or, was yeah. like, uh, yeah. no thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, it also is like they have the power to bring Satan to Earth. Mm-hmm. And they did. They sure did. And he made a baby. Yeah. In their apartment complex. They may have compelled her to kill herself. Yeah. So who, who knows? Or they found a new person who they wanted. Mm. And uh, after that, they, yeah, they, there's like when she's going through the book, there's like their combined mental power. They can, like, whatever they do in their ceremonies. Yep, exactly. To get into the actual movie, there's a creepy lullaby sung over the opening credits, which is Mm -hmm. really a great way to sort of ease you in as you like float over the city. I also really love the bright pink script. It really helps to make the movie stand out. It's a really unique choice for a horror movie. Oh, it's rad. It's a great opening. And then you're also like, oh, Charles Grodin is in this? That's crazy. (laughs) It sure is. Guy and Rosemary Woodhouse are very excited to be touring and ultimately staying at the Bramford Apartments, starting a new phase of their life together. Guy is an actor. He was in Luther and Nobody Loves an Albatross and a lot of television plays and commercials, (laughs) as Rosemary says so many times. Mm-hmm. I like right at the beginning, he has a little quip about artistic thrills, not only because it's pretty funny, but it also immediately shows that he's dissatisfied with where he's at. And I, there's just a lot of little clues that pay off down the road established really early on. Yeah, he's kind of, you know, a bit of a jerk there because mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, that's where the thrills are, you know. <laughs> uh, hey, you're a working actor. but And then also, the and then, you know, the first part he gets 
after you know whatever deal he makes uh it's funny when you see him throughout the movie like rehearsing because you're like what is this terrible play (laughs) (laughs) he's like in the crutches and then there's one part where he does a couple lines and it's just so clunky yeah i don't i'm not in love with anybody much less your wife yeah (laughs) okay guy (laughs) there's a lot of bad fake lines it's pretty funny yeah um, their friend Hutch warns them about Black Bramford's dark past with witchcraft and murder, including the Cannibal Trench Sisters, Devil Summoner, Adrian Marcado, and several others. Um, I love the shot of them sitting on the floor eating dinner that first night in the apartment. It really stood out to me. The lighting is incredible. And it's also very, it feels very funny and naturalistic when they're like awkwardly pulling their clothes off to have sex and guys yeah. like rolling onto his back to get his pants off and everything. Right. It it's feels. Like, let's do this. Exactly. Let's get ready. It feels it's much more authentic. Mechanical. Yeah. 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 It's more, it's not sexy at all. Yeah. That. It's like, let's just, let's make love. Okay. Let's, I'll take off my own clothes, I guess. <laughs> their relationship in the beginning, I actually do like a lot. I think it's very cute. They're joking around a lot in the elevator and everything. Uh, Rosemary drops what she's doing so she can see the Yamaha commercial that guy is in when she sees him, oh, uh, yeah. when she hears it come on. They're a, they're a fun couple. Yeah. They're, like, happy together. Yeah. Um, and it, it makes it pretty tragic to see that, like, she's happy with where they're at. But Guy is so blinded by his aspirations that he is not content with with a loving wife and and child to be and 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 uh, you know they're making enough money to live in these nice apartments. So yeah, it's a pretty good pad. Yeah, where you know, John Lennon laid, lived later. So I don't know. Yeah, it must be expensive. Yeah, I uh, would probably assume so. The apartment is coming together when down in laundry, Rosemary meets Terry Gianofrio. A young woman in recovery, taken in by the Castavets, the Woodhouse's next-door neighbors named Minnie and Roman. One thing I really like about this scene as well is that it really is demonstrative of the long takes in this movie. You really trust the actors to memorize the lines and the blocking, and it creates a much more hypnotic feeling to the movie. You're not constantly taken out by new camera angles. It lets you really immerse yourself in it. Yeah, you're in the situation with them. You feel like the awkwardness or the... Yeah, it's it's not all cut, cut, cut. Right. It's actual acting. Yeah. From in their room, Guy and Rosemary can hear chanting coming from the cast of Etz, which is a really creepy sort of way to be introduced to them. And then, although she seems so chipper, uh, it seems as though Terry jumps to her death from the cast of Etz's seventh floor apartment. And pretty gruesome shot of her lying on the ground there. They really show it to you pretty pretty lengthily. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's that late 60s red blood. It's bright, you know? Yeah. And this is where we meet the cast of Vets for the first time. And they're informed extremely brusquely by the police (laughs) about Yeah, rather (laughs) matter-of-factly. You might want to brace yourself for this. And then they're totally fine. Totally unfazed. Yeah, Roman's like, uh, she got hmm, deeply depressed every three weeks. So I guess this was bound to happen. Yeah, no, yeah. He's like, uh, yeah, he's not worried. She's, (laughs) I don't know what she's, if she's putting on an act or if she's, you know, they're both obviously probably aware of what has happened. Mm -hmm. And and he says, oh, it must have been an accident. Yeah. Cops are like, well, this old white man says it was an accident. It must have been an accident. <laughs> sign, yeah. sign off on it. Yep. Yeah, but well dressed. Mm, fancy, so. fancy man. Yeah. Fancy man. <laughs> well, when you're a Satan summoner, you gotta be. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta dress the part. <laughs> That's right. 
Rosemary is lying in bed and dozing, and this is where we get the first dream sequence that I think is really effective. There's a nun yelling and some windows being bricked up when she hears Minnie yelling about how they shouldn't have told her in advance and that it sucks that they have to start over. And the two kind of meld together, where there's, like, unsynced mini-audio, like, going with the nun. It feels very surreal. Yeah, the dream sequences in this are awesome. Mm -hmm. And just, like, all little insert shots that he does are so handheld and and, uh, just quick and perfect and uh, not overthought. And, uh, you know, just, like, it's cool. It's a great, this is terrific filmmaking. It is, and it's it makes it even more incredible that it feels so naturalistic and authentic in that way that it feels like he's just doing it off the cuff. But from what we know about his filming style and the amount of concentration that went into the details and how many times they had to do shots over and over and over again, it's remarkable that they still captured that while being so exacting. Yeah. I wonder if some of those things were just like really got him quick and then the other stuff like just really torture the actors, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Minnie comes over and introduces herself to Rosemary, and she's nosy as hell and guilts Rosemary into coming over for dinner that night. And like I said, we've seen Rosemary give a stock answer about Guy's work several times. You start to get the impression that she's tired of answering the same question. But one other thing that I noticed about this that I thought was really interesting is how much people ask about Guy and never about Rosemary. Oh, yeah. It's like, we have no interest in you, lady. <laughs> yeah. You're just our, uh, going to carry the baby. Yeah, I think it helps to develop that sense of isolation really early on, even subconsciously. Yeah. yeah. Only that one guy comes over later who, like, actually cares about her. Yeah, Hutch. Good old yeah. Hutch. Yeah, but how can you say no to... Uh, she comes in, like, uh, uh, you know, comes in hot, <laughs> yeah, and all of a sudden, sure you, there's no denying this woman anything. No. There's no saying, get, telling her no. Yeah, she's down the hall already by the time she's yeah, saying, you're, yeah, you're come like, on oh, I guess I'm coming over tonight, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Guy comes home in a funk because Donald Baumgart got the part he wanted. <laughs> Fucking Donald Baumgart. <laughs> well, he's about to get his. Yeah, he sure is. <laughs> Guy is reluctant to go to the cast of Vets, saying that they'll never get rid of him. But Rosemary kind of pouts a little and convinces him to go because she feels bad. And it's so ironic that she's the one who kind of puts this, the wheels in motion, as it were. Well, it kind of, I like that scene a lot. It's it's actually, she becomes like, ah, you're right, I get it. And he's yeah. like, uh, and she's like, no, I'm actually not. Like, I see it. And then he's yeah. like, uh, I'll <laughs> fucking go. Whether it is like a way she's guilting him, but I don't think it is. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I'll do my one good deed for the day. Right. Is go do this and hang out with these old people. Yeah. And uh, it's like the beginning of the end. Yeah. You know? She says, oh, That's this, like this a, sounds so funny, I think but it's, it's fun. Not. Yeah, like, yeah, I've had those moments where you're like, I don't want to fucking go with this <laughs> thing, man. <Yeah. laughs> and uh, you're like, fine, I'll go. Yeah. And then you end up having a good time. And selling you know? your child to Satan. <laughs> hey, not, you know. Who among us I'm has like, not been there? <laughs> who hasn't wrestled with that? Yeah. At dinner that night, they start talking about the Pope. Classic first dinner conversation. And the cast of vets scoff at the hypocrisy of organized religion and the showbiz of it all, which makes Rosemary uncomfortable as a former Catholic. Mm-hmm. Roman also butters up Guy about a play that he was in, and he says, your talent will carry you far, provided you get those initial breaks. And it's really incredible to me the way he's setting the groundwork, saying like, oh, you could be doing so much better, but no one's giving you your chance. He's really setting the springboard for Guy to take the leap. Yeah. 
It's a, a good mouse trap. Jeez. Yeah. They giggle to each other as they stumble back to their apartment, and Guy reveals that he's going back over tomorrow to hear more stories about the theater. Rosemary isn't interested in becoming friends with them, and she also points out uh, that, interestingly, all their pictures had been taken down before the Woodhouses arrived, which is very suspicious. When Guy goes over, Minnie intrudes on Rosemary once again, this time with her friend Laura Louise from Up on 12, to give her Terry's pendant. Rosemary doesn't mention that she knew about it, and Minnie says that the green inside is Tannis root for good luck. And Mm -hmm. the look on Minnie's face is devious as hell when she gives her this, and she just looks so sinister. It's a great moment. It's so great. The Tannis root or devil's pepper or whatever (laughs) it's called later. (laughs) I looked it up, and it's not a real root. Uh, It was something made up for the book. What was the other lady's name? Laura Louise. Laura Louise. We all know a lady like that. (laughs) And she, in the end, really shows herself to be a... A, a true bitch. Yeah. <laughs> a really mean lady. So very, funny. So, oh my God. what a fucking bitch at the end. <laughs> and just like her, her, you know, another pushy friend and just like coming in and just like, they just sit down and start uh, knitting, crocheting. Yeah. Or, yeah. Something. Knitting. And it's like, what are you doing? Like, she was about <laughs> to have like a nice, e- a nice quiet evening. Yep. And then just immediately ruined by these two spinsters. That's like, right. Meddling. <laughs> yeah, she really shows her true colors later. It's a fun little thing at the end, I think. Yeah, I agree. And this is the moment where, as you mentioned earlier, Rosemary doesn't want to wear this thing that they gave her, but Guy encourages her to. And he's, you can, this is the moment where you go, oh, he's already too far gone. He's, he's, been brought over to the other side now well you know that shot earlier where it's like such that smoky room it's almost like he's been i think it's almost like the seeds already been planted that first night yeah and then he's like i gotta go over the second night and then we're gonna do the real thing yep and then we'll do the ceremony or whatever it is yep. or go over the uh, specifics <laughs> you know like but i think that first night that shot of that creepy room where it's just smoking them and then you show them on the on the couch it's cool i think that's actually where the the deal was done i agree i think it's uh it's really great and he's suddenly cast in the play after all when donald Baumgart is struck blind out of nowhere mm-hmm. he's also got a tv offer rosemary tells hutch she also feels really terrible about how self-centered and preoccupied guy has been lately which understandable they came they're starting afresh in this new apartment and suddenly he's completely taken in by the the elderly neighbors and uh, and work so you can see how she would be uh, pretty upset by this, considering that they were intending to have a child and everything. Yeah, things are not well. Well, it's like he's kind of trying, trying to like pull away, I think. Yeah. But yeah, it's a really, it is a true like, he's like, oh, I just ruined everything for my success. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. It is a pretty happy marriage at the beginning. You're like, this seems like a fun, happy, they're going to have a fun, happy family. Yep. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you even can see a little bit of that still when... She walks in to find a bunch of roses and Guy apologizing. Like, she's so eager to forgive him. She wants so badly to be that happy family and and the, the sort of, like, platonic ideal that she's just like, yeah, okay, great, uh, let's have a baby. You're right, let's do it right now. Uh, I think that it, it says a lot about their relationship that she is so interested in, in moving past it. Yeah, well, then he does like the he he makes that uh, effort of being like, this is when your period is and when you're fertile, right? And you're like, oh, that's something a, a nice, caring, somebody who wants to be a dad would do. Yeah, you know exactly. It shows that he's putting in the work 
Um, yeah. Although, who a, knows if he's even the one who figured that out. It may well have never. been the cast of Vets. <laughs> the, yeah, I don't think, doesn't seem very bright. No. You know? No, he does not. In that, you know, him being like a New York actor of that era, it's funny. Like, even in that documentary, uh, Roman and Mia, he talks about, like, obvious casting. And he's like, I like obvious casting. And he's like, the most obvious casting in this like mm-hmm. he is that type of person yeah which almost feels like a dig yeah you know what i mean oh yeah they did not like each other so i believe that he's uh he's saying oh he's a shithead <laughs> yeah these fucking guys that era of actor exactly on the night that they're preparing to try for a baby Minnie brings over individual cups of chocolate mouse for dessert and i love that this happens off screen while we just watch rosemary's reaction it's a really smart creative choice i think lets us really focus on her instead of just working through the mechanics of her being like okay here's the cup here you go all right it's a better shot than them being like here's the mouse <laughs> and they're like the mouse yeah, yeah. very perfect <laughs> it's like she's like Ugh, it's fucking ladies here again yeah Ugh, please go away oh thank god she's gone yeah it, it's great and you can see that guy has something different on top of his so that he knows which one to give rosemary classic she should have been like let me taste yours <laughs> no no no, no. <laughs> maybe you know yeah yeah because so rosemary complains that hers has a chalky undertaste and doesn't want to finish it and guy says it's always something with her and so she eats a little more. Yeah, right away. Like, yeah. like, if I said that to my wife, like, I'm not going to eat the fucking thing. We're like, that's fine. Don't eat the fucking thing. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be like, just eat it. It's always something. Eat the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah Minnie like, has no what? way of knowing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it'd never. be rude. It's like, who the fuck knows? She, yeah, why would she know? Yeah, that should have been like a huge argument. <laughs> You know? Yeah. She eats a little more to get him to shut up, but when he goes to flip the record, she dumps it in her napkin. Another classic move from Rosemary there. Well, that comes back to bite her. While Guy watches the Pope visit Yankee Stadium, Rosemary gets woozy, knocking over a chair and stumbling back in. And if this is what is the effect, like if is that the, what he's watching? Is that like because it's this is in like sixty five, sixty six? Is that when the Pope visited? Is it is it set around that time? Yeah, I think that's what they're talking about at the dinner. Is, like, is, is there a Time magazine? Because there's that one magazine where it says, "Is God dead?" And it's like, <laughs> was that the real magazine yeah. at one point? It may well be. Um, I honestly don't know if this visit actually happened, but uh, it certainly seems to be the implication. Because they're talking about how the Pope won't visit anywhere where the newspapers are on strike. Right. He's thinking about shifting it. But but yeah, Rosemary gets woozy. She stumbles back in. Guy leads her to bed where she imagines that it's floating in an ocean. And uh, then they're on a boat with a bunch of other people. And Guy is taking her clothes off so she's more comfortable. And she protests. And Guy just tells her to sleep. And the whole time, the sound is just this ticking of the clock. It's so unsettling. It ratchets up the tension of this already uncomfortable scene that's coming momentarily. Just such a great sound design moment that uh, is super impactful. Yeah, this whole scene, this whole hallucination and her being drugged and not being totally out because she doesn't eat the whole thing. If she'd eaten the whole thing, she'd probably just been out the whole time. She's like in between states. It's really cool. It's really twisted. That shot of him like pulling the pants off on the boat Mm -hmm. and like just the whole boat and them on a boat for some reason. And that's like, this is like the most European part of the movie, you know? Yeah. Like this, like this pan across the ship is really cool. It's awesome. Yeah. It's really, it's really creepy. 
it I also really like there's a lot of even character moments kind of brought to light in this where you can see how exposed she feels uh, by her being naked in the thing and immediately a bathing suit appears on her because she's kind of has that Catholic guilt still and is a little repressed. But she sees herself nude on the boat and she also sees Hutch on the shore. He can't come on because Catholics only, says the captain. <laughs> right. And then she's like, no, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. You're like, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he tries to warn her from the shore of a deadly typhoon coming while her drugged body is lifted into the air in what looks kind of like the Sistine Chapel. Um, interestingly, it lingers much longer on the being turning away from God and the baby in the paintings, as opposed to the uh, very famous uh, God and man touching. It's a cool shot. Like sure that, is. Uh, her on the, uh, it's like, you know, a painter, like, uh, you know, fixing it up. Yeah. The So there's another warning about the typhoon. And now, nude again, Rosemary is warned to go downstairs by a sailor. And when she lays down on the mattress, she finds down there, suddenly things are looking very real again as the nude Rosemary is surrounded by a dozen nude septuagenarians. And I uh, idly wondered if it was 12 because, like, the coven was kind of going for a 12 apostles kind of thing to mm-hmm. bring uh, bring the Antichrist out. So, Well, um, they say at the beginning of the movie that they turned, like, one of the floors into, like, six different apartments or something like right. that. Right, or, yeah, they like, chopped up so all, all of them ones. live there, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure that's some the, what I'm sure there's some sort of significance there yeah. of the 12. Um that's an awesome shot too when she goes downstairs and it's just like the bed in the living room and it's all smoky. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's great. It's, yeah. And she's painted with symbols while they chant and look over her while her eyes are wide open and it's just such a scary moment for her to be like staring up in this and looking awake and we even see uh so we see more of the onlookers, Minnie and Guy, both nude as well. And he's scared that she's awake. And mm-hmm. we as the audience are like, oh, she is. She knows exactly what's going on. And he is scared that whatever's coming is bad enough that he wants her passed out for it. Yeah. Uh, very yes, unnerving. The devil is coming. <laughs> yes. You probably don't want to be awake for that. <laughs> no, I think probably not. Minnie says as long as she ate the mouse, she can't see nor hear. She's like dead. Now sing. We also see Dr. Saperstein in the audience as well. Mm -hmm. Guy approaches Rosemary and he doesn't look quite right. And suddenly his hands are different and his face, he's possessed by the devil. And he rapes her while she's in this dream state. And as as he does so, she fantasizes about the Pope forgiving her. But when she goes to kiss his ring, she sees the Tannis root charm and realizes... This is no dream. This is really happening. Right. Or the Pope is in on it. Oh, my God. You're so right. (laughs) Before getting uh, smothered by a pillow to finish knocking her out, Guy wakes her up the next morning at 10 after 9. In that scene, you see, like, the creepy devil hands or whatever. He's there. It's It's the the, devil. Straight up. It's the devil. (laughs) It's not. I always thought it was, like, Guy or something or he was possessed by it, but it is the devil. Yeah. So it's that's crazy. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a big, it's like a big, it's like a, you know, a suspension of disbelief, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's a big <laughs> gamble. Like the devil, it will be the devil. Yeah. Okay. It is. It is interesting because you are taking a chance that people will take the movie seriously still because it has been very deliberate the whole time and you're really building this atmosphere and it does seem very possible that in a less deftly handled movie, 
that suddenly the devil showing up would be this huge laugh moment. That's where you're like, oh, God, yeah. this, uh, this is where the studio notes came in. Right. Whatever. <laughs> but, like, it's like a jump in the shark moment. You know, it could have been, but yeah, it works. It sure does. So... Guy wakes her up the next morning at 10 after 9 to make him make, to make her make him breakfast, which is also <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> She's like, go eat something out. He's like, fuck no. That's not why I got married. That's right. <laughs> and she notices a bunch of scratches on her side and her breasts. Oh, she should. There's a bunch of them yeah, everywhere. They sure are. And Guy, in classic, I'm a liar trying to get ahead of this fashion, jumps in to say, hey, I accidentally scratched you up while I had sex with your passed out body, but don't worry, I've filed my nails since then. And right. she's yeah. extremely understandably put off by the fact that he raped her, despite his reassurance that it was kind of fun in a necrophile kind of way. What a awful moment of realization for her. Even if he is telling her the truth, like even the lie is awful. <laughs> the lie is terrible. Yeah. It's if that was true. You know, it's even less likable, but then you're like, he's just lying. Yeah. But what happened is way worse. Exactly. It's just a terrible situation. Yeah. She is at least a little comforted that her dreams of something inhuman doing the raping seem to be assuaged. And then he's like, hey, and like, don't insult me. Yeah. Or whatever. It's kind of, yeah, it like makes a joke. Like, fuck out you, of guy. <laughs> guy. Fucking guy. Fucking guy. It's a great shot next as Guy is gone and we just see Rosemary sitting there forlornly because you just feel so bad for her. You know, it's something that she's been wanting for a while and she loved Guy and wanted to expand their family and share that love. And he's just using it as a way to advance his career at his expense. You know, it's really like a tragic thing that's happening to Rosemary, and and it's a very sympathetic moment. Yeah, she's such the victim in this, you know? Yeah. I also love all the little body language aspects of the performances in this movie. Uh, Minnie, again, is delighted to see Rosemary the next morning when she returns the chocolate moose cups. Yeah. Very funny when she's just like, oh, you had a good night, dear? I'll have to get you the recipe. Yeah. Rosemary isn't that happy herself, though, because she feels like Guy won't look at her. Again, that guilt making itself known. And it turns out that Baby Night, as they refer to it, was indeed a success, and she finds herself pregnant due June 28th, 1966. 666. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Well, I never got that. <laughs> There you but go. But there's a 2-8 in between. Is that another demonic number? Uh, No, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, he's European, so they would do the date first. Oh, yeah. You're right. There we go. Mm-hmm. I just saved your ass, Polanski. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> she tells Guy, who seems nervous, but you can kind of chalk that up to regular new dad nerves, which I think is a really interesting thing that this movie plays with. Oh, yeah. And she asks him to make this a new start for openness between them. And, of course, we as an audience know that it's just the beginning of the secrecy and lies. And another, like, real twinge moment for me is when Guy dashes off to tell Minnie and Roman, who burst in, you know, like, he can't even take this moment to celebrate with her. Right. It's a really odd, weird... Thing to do yeah yeah just like as a husband i'd be like that would never not go well <laughs> like no we're not telling anybody for six, 10 weeks yeah. or whatever yeah you know but also i don't know what happened in the 60s i don't know when they <laughs> did, did it then maybe they didn't wait as long they were kind of like a little loose-lipped 
Could be, but uh, she doesn't want to tell anyone, and and Guy is just like, no, we're fucking doing this. We're telling everybody. Mm-hmm. I do like the cast of vets come in, and they're like, wow, we're so psyched. Congrats. By the way, fuck Dr. Hill. You're going to Dr. Saperstein. He delivers all the rich babies, and she's right. just like, okay. <laughs> Great. Guy definitely encourages this, though, so Rosemary finally acquiesces. Guy is not on her side. Nope. No, he is not. And she meets with Dr. Saperstein the next day, who tells her, don't read books, don't listen to your friends, don't take vitamin pills, just drink this herb drink I'm going to have Minnie make for you every day. Totally right. not suspicious, Doc. This doesn't sound like a cult or anything. <laughs> yeah, don't listen to anybody. Don't, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah isolate myself. <laughs> Only listen to me. Great. <laughs> um, I do... But also, it comes off as good advice, like, don't fucking talk to people they're just gonna scare you no he does say give good advice he's like no pregnancy is the same yeah so you know which is true it's just a good you know cover yeah it really is and i love his performance and i think that it's so good secretly one of the most important performances because down the road when she turns to him for safety and doesn't find it that really cements the reach of the conspiracy it's such a pivotal moment that if he doesn't feel like a friendly face, someone that she can turn to, that rug pull means nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really creepy when she learns that uh, he is not to be trusted. Yeah. The days march on. She gets a chic haircut from Vidal Sassoon. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem like, I'm sure it was like meant to be and it was like the hot look. Mm. But on her, it seems like almost like this is... I mean, this is bad press, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it's funny because he actually did do it. We we cut hair good. She just looks weird. (laughs) Uh, Not everybody's going to look this weird and creepy like they're having the devil's child. So still try this haircut. Yeah, it does feel like the kind of thing that he would be like, well, no, I'm not going to make someone look terrible. Right. No, I'm sure he thought it looked great. I'm sure they thought she was like, you know, she was uh, a wafy 60s lady sure sure but uh well it certainly doesn't complement the dark eyes and skeleton look that she has going on and speaking of being a shitty husband her uh guy just like (laughs) like, fucking tells her she looks terrible (laughs) on a couple of occasions yeah he sure does and she's also suddenly having stomach pain which he doesn't seem that concerned about the doctor also assures her that it's natural and when she's like, I thought it might be an ectopic pregnancy, he's like, I, t- I told you not to read any books. Right. Just doing their best to keep her as uninformed and powerless as possible. You can also see this in Minnie's reluctance to tell her what's in the drink as well. Well, that's the same as any doctor you go to and they're like, don't go to WebMD. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like kind of like, it's pretty relatable. You're like, that seems, that's why it takes her a while to put it all together. You yeah, know? absolutely. Because it does seem like, oh, maybe it's a good doctor. And just like, <laughs> just be, don't worry. Call Call me. <laughs> If you're having problems, yeah, you know, it seems like I care. I mean, he does. I mean, he wants yeah, the true. baby to be, I mean, or I'm sure the devil would be mad at him if he that's messes right. this up. So <laughs> he's been in charge of <laughs> delivering the devil's baby. That's so right. big, a lot of risk, big. but a lot of reward. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're lucky they didn't have like, uh, they could take pictures back then because you would have seen what it looked like in her. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. The uh, the ultrasound the is just like apparently. Eh. I, I think they allude to it having hooves. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, look at his look at his feet and hands. They said. Yeah, but the pain gets worse and worse, and she feels like she looks awful. Though, like we say, guy just blames the haircut. I think that he is kind of like taking the heat on being a bad husband by being like your uh, your haircut looks like shit. 
so mm-hmm. that she has something to blame when everyone is like, hey, are you okay? <laughs> but she is indeed, she's also eating what can only be described as a seared cut of beef. <laughs> like, yes. like, I like rare meat, and I can even get behind, like, carpaccio, but dang, bro, that devil baby yeah. is hungry as hell for rare steak. This just goes one side, one second, one side, the other side, one second. Yeah. Let's eat it. Yeah. You know? My dad orders his steaks uh, black and blue. He says that he likes to hear it moo when he bites mm-hmm. into it, and I think that, that uh, even this might be a little rare for him. So. Your dad's like, she overcooked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he might say that. Yeah. But Hutch comes to see her, and he says also, what the hell, you look like shit. But it's interesting how much more concerned his what the hell, you look like shit feels compared to Guy, who is incredibly dismissive of her concerns. Mm -hmm. She does tell him that she's pregnant, and he scoffs, saying pregnant women gain weight, not lose it, which is a good point, Hutch. (laughs) And suddenly Roman is at the door, keeping an eye on their little tyke. And uh, he comes in to meet Hutch, who is hella suspicious of what's going on. And he inspects the tannis root and presses them on it and the effects. And so Roman hurries out while the remaining two discuss the cast of Vets. Roman in a truly creepy scene. Yes, he's great. He's really great in this scene. He's so imposing without being like a large person. Like he, He's like in the background, but you see his like arched eyebrow. Yeah. And you're just like, he's just looking at this Hutch guy with just such hatred and just like this motherfucker is in, (laughs) is like getting in the way. Yeah. Even when he's standing at the door and he's just like waiting, like he's like forcing Rosemary to politely invite him in just by the sheer awkwardness, his willingness to go in. Well, I might as well meet him, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) You know, no one does that. Now you're like, "Eh, I don't care. I don't care who you're talking to. Roman does that. (laughs) Yeah. Guy shows up and Hutch heads out, but one of his gloves is missing. And when this glove bit pays off, boy, it's good. Wait, what is it? Just it disappears. When does it come back? So it comes back when she realizes that that's what the the personal effect that they need. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, and then she. This is what leads her to the tie thing as well for uh, the oh the with the guy's I'm, competitor. Mm-hmm. Hutch calls her later and asks to meet her at the Time and Life building while Guy starts to panic. And one thing I noticed only a few watches in is the way that he reacts, saying that the boy's adventure stories that Hutch writes are going to his head, but there's no story yet for him to react to, only what he knows as the truth, which Guy presumes Hutch has figured out. And I think that it's really fascinating the way that he is so constantly on edge and so paranoid himself in a in a completely different way than rosemary is paranoid the whole time yeah i mean they're both worried uh, worried about her but for so, such crazy different reasons like, yeah. he's not worried about her he's worried about what's inside of her and, and her of her bringing that to out. fruition yeah yeah or being like figuring out that she's been used in this uh way yeah um he goes out for an ice cream cone, he says, although presumably he goes to talk to the cast of vets about what to do, while Rosemary writhes in pain. Right. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's not an easy watch no. sometimes. No. It can be very, uh, yeah, off-putting. Rosemary heads out the next day, again looking positively skeletal, but gets stood up by Hutch. And when she phones to see what happened... She discovers that he's fallen into a deep coma this morning and is in the hospital. Not just any coma, a deep (laughs) coma. 
as they say. It's uh, that's how you know it's serious biz because a regular coma, you'd be like, oh well, he'll be coma up or any deep. Minute. Is it? Did you say coma or deep coma? Deep coma. <laughs> oh oh no, <laughs> now we're in trouble. <laughs> Mid sixties medicine. <laughs> So the woman on the other end of the phone, Grace Cardiff, is very curt with Rosemary, and Rosemary hangs up the phone, feeling completely isolated once more. Who's the lady that she's talking to? Just uh, his assistant, I his guess. His assistant? Yeah. Okay. Why are you saying she's curt to her? I mean, she is not, like, friendly, but I think it's a pretty crazy thing that happened, but I, I don't know if it's a personal... Is it a personal thing? No, I, it just... Uh, I don't know. She felt like she was rude. Rosemary was very polite. I guess she, as an actress, she made a choice. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) And Rosemary uh, is staring at herself in a reflection of a nativity window display, which I thought was pretty fun and ironic. Mm -hmm. And she's quickly shuffled back home, though, when, oh, wow, what a coincidence. She runs into Minnie doing some Christmas shopping. How convenient. (laughs) Yeah. Minnie. Mm. I love Minnie hailing the cab. It just really struck me as funny. (laughs) Again, just no way to tell this woman no. Yeah. Just, ugh, you're just swept away. (laughs) And you're just like, oh, no. Yeah, the miniature agonies that we all go through with social niceties and and making sure that we follow along and don't act rude to people means that someone like Minnie, who is very uh, unafraid to be pushy, you know, people get swept up in it no problem. I can easily see myself, I can put myself in Rosemary's shoes because we know people like that. Yeah, who would just be like, it's easier just to go. Yeah. (laughs) It's easier just to drink this drink every day. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Rosemary is in agony at New Year's, where Dr. Saperstein continues to reassure you. They don't give you any time to dwell on it, but Roman cheers to the new year, to 1966, the year one. Yeah. It's great. There's a quick a sting moment. in the music. A very, very fun and effective. Fun. Year one. <laughs> Just like guy on his deathbed. Excited <laughs> for what? For the I crumbling guess eternal, of the temples. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We cut to Rosemary in the kitchen eating a raw organ that she's pulled out of a chicken. And yeah. it's gross. It's really fucking gross. <laughs> Those pregnancy cravings. <laughs> some people want pickles. Some people want chicken hearts. Some people want organs. Yeah. She catches a glimpse of herself in the toaster reflection and is disgusted and pukes. And it's it's another great moment where she, she's even like, oh, my God, what's happening? Like, this can't mm-hmm. be normal. Guy wakes up to find her determinedly planning a menu for a party that she wants to have. A very special party. You have to be under 60 to get in. Kick rocks, Roman and Minnie and Laura Louise and Dr. Saperstein. I also love the attitude that she gives Guy when he asks about the pain. The first time that he's ever expressed any concern about it. And she says, oh, haven't you heard? It'll go away in a day or two. (laughs) Right. I like this moment. She's like trying. She's taking some power back here. Mm-hmm. And being like, I gotta fix this stuff. Yeah, it's it's really great. Minnie tries to insert herself into the party, but Rosemary insists that not only is she not allowed to come over, but that she has to leave right now, and she's not gonna drink the drink. Damn it, Minnie. Not right now. That's right. At least she tells her. Yep. The party is in full swing. I love the bartender. Not only when he's giving his funny line uh, about yeah. the drink strength, but also when he's like just hanging out in the background. He's really making a meal of his screen time <laughs> as a yeah. as a featured yeah. featured background actor there. I got a, a IMDb and see what else he went on to do. Yeah, he's, uh, I got to respect it. Well, at the beginning, they have those vodka blushes, which I've never had, which seems like a fun drink, yeah. which is vodka, lime juice, and some grenadine. It did sound good. Guy watches nervously at the party as Rosemary talks with her friends, 
and people chat about Donald Baumgart's struggles as well, which is also very unnerving mm-hmm. for him. It's a cool uh, casting that the, the party goers are an interesting crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, it's cool. Yeah. It's like mod era dress mm-hmm. and the style. Yeah. They're very hip, especially compared to the cast of vets that they've been stuck hanging out with. It really feels like a breath of fresh air. And you can see why Rosemary has been missing this if this is the crowd she's used to. Right. It makes more sense. Yeah. The pain becomes unbearable for Rosemary, though. And her friends are like, what? You've been in pain since November? Why are you still yeah. seeing this quack? Yeah. Listen to these ladies. Yeah. They convince her to go see Dr. Hill to Guy's great displeasure, who says that her friends are a bunch of not very bright bitches and Dr. Hill is a nobody, that Dr. Saperstein will be offended and it's not fair to him. Yeah, who cares? What is this argument? It would be like, this doesn't stand up in any... Yeah, it's like, what? I don't care about his feelings. I am in pain. You know? Yeah. And Rosemary does freak out, rightfully so. Yeah. Not fair. Not fair to him. Yeah. It's wild. And suddenly, the pain stops. And she's so delighted to feel the baby moving, any sign that it's alive, that she breaks down in happy tears. But as you say, Guy is afraid to touch it on account of the whole Son of Satan thing. Yeah. In her relief, Rosemary goes back to doing what she's told, including drinking the drinks, and the color comes back to her cheeks, and suddenly it's a mere three weeks to the due date. And Rosemary's bliss is shattered by a phone call. It's Grace Cardiff again, calling to say that Hutch has died. Rosemary heads to the funeral, uh, although she's late. And, you know, it's not shown, but it's interesting to kind of speculate that, you know, it's possible she's late because she was arguing with Guy, who presumably doesn't want her leaving the house with the Antichrist unattended. You know, it's it's cool that it's not shown, but it leaves it open to something for you to chew on. Yeah, or she's just pregnant. So yeah, I'm late. sometimes you're late. <laughs> I'm just pregnant. What do you want? I'm late. But she does make it, and she meets Grace there, who delivers to her a book. Grace says that Hutch regained consciousness at the end and thought it was the next day. So he told the doctors to make sure she got the book and the message, the name is an anagram. Rosemary asks what that means, if it's related to the name of the book, and Grace just shrugs, which I thought was actually a very funny little moment for her to be like, I don't fucking know. How do I know? (laughs) Fucking relaying the message. That's right. You should know. Exactly. The message was for you, Rosemary. Yeah. Classic good, uh... Like a mystery yep. moment. Yep, it has here's to. Some, here's something. Here's something. <laughs> here's another piece of clue. That's right. Puzzle piece drops in. And uh, the book is entitled All of Them, which is great name for a book. Also a good band named after it. And uh, the first thing she notes is an underlined sentence saying that they use a fungus called the devil's pepper <laughs> in their mm-hmm. rituals. And then a marked area in the description of Adrian Marcado. Next to the description. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Indeed. And next to the description of the mob attacking Adrian is a photo with his family, including his son, Stephen, whose name is underlined. She grabs the Scrabble board to help with her anagram deduction, uh, although she thinks it's the book title still. And she does get it to say comes with the fall, which I thought was interesting, because to me, that feels like it could be an allusion to the pride that, you know, the pride comes before the fall. Wait, repeat that part. Sorry. My wife came by to try to. Get me to hear something, but I have no idea what she was talking <laughs> sure. about. I'm so sorry. No, Repeat no. that part. I'm no, so sorry. No problem. She So she's doing this anagram, 
there. She's trying to figure out what it right, is. Right, with the Scrabble. Right, and when she's still working on the book title portion of the anagram, she gets it to say, comes with the fall. And oh yeah, I thought pride. that that might be an interesting allusion to sort of pride comes before the fall, and Guy's hubris and desire for more is the thing that leads to the downfall of their family. Mm-hmm. So there you I go. think that's a astute observation. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. <laughs> um, she realizes, though, that he had marked the correct name and puzzles out Stephen Marcato to say, Roman Castavet. Bum, bum, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> she locks the door to Guy's surprise when he gets home and tells him that she figured out who Roman is and Guy laughs it off. But Rosemary refuses to take any chances that they'll do rituals with the baby's blood or flesh and says that he's banished and she wants to move out. She should have just kept her mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. Well, she doesn't know. Anything. She doesn't know. Guy's in on it. Not yet. Well, yeah. I don't know. I'd be suspicious. <laughs> the way he's been acting. Yeah, exactly. He says speaks very poorly of him that she thinks that it's just his normal behavior. <laughs> right. Maybe he's just having an affair. <laughs> She tells Saperstein about this as well and asks if they could have been giving her anything in the drinks and cakes. And he says he would have noticed and he'll encourage a the- long time ago. Indeed. Uh, he'll encourage the cast of to leave since Roman is very ill and wants to see a few of his favorite cities before he dies, but didn't want to offend her. And they'll be gone on Sunday, he says. And indeed, off they go to Kennedy Airport with the Woodhouses to see them off. Fun aside, Saperstein later plays uh randolph duke in trading places wow he's one of the uh older oh my god he totally is isn't he? he's one of those guys he's one (laughs) of that voice that voice i was obsessed with i looked him up he's also in like uh this 30s movie like an a movie it's like a disaster movie it's called deluge oh my god and it's like west coast is like taken over by a huge like typhoon or something and uh and like then the east coast is on it's really cool it looks like a lot of cool like miniatures and like special effects that's way up my pretty cool yeah he he ends up becoming i mean like he's such a big his voice is amazing yeah oh it really is rosemary goes to read more of the book but guy reveals that he threw it out And this is when she starts to get suspicious of him, too, wandering out into the street in a daze before throwing the charm with what she thought was Tannis Root, now Devil's Pepper, into the street, into the sewer. Mia Farrow was really nervous about shooting this since they didn't, like, close off the street or anything. And Polanski pointed to her pregnancy padding and said and told her, nobody's going to hit a pregnant woman. And so off she went with Polanski operating the handheld camera behind her since he was the only one willing to walk into the street as well. I got to say, it pays off. Yeah. And thank God she, you know, it looks really cool. Mm -hmm. And he did it too. So you can't get mad at him. (laughs) Paid off. That little shithead. Yep. Made her walk into oncoming traffic and (laughs) risk your life for this shot. But you know what? It's a memorable shot. Sure is. Rosemary buys more books on witchcraft and finds indicators that a coven could do all the stuff that's been happening, like the blinding mm-hmm. of Guy's rival and Hutch's coma, and that a personal belonging of the person would be necessary. Yeah, that their united mental force Ooh. can cause people to go blind or to go into comas or Spooky. commit suicide or whatever it was. So you're like, oh, that's what caused all that other shit. Yeah. And I love the conversation that she has with Donald Baumgart when she calls to check on him. And he's just bitter as hell. He's like, oh, I'm fantastic. Only broke six glasses today. Yeah. It's like, get some plastic cups. <laughs> like, what? Like, why are you still using glass? <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
Could have used some uh, some plastic cups for sure, uh, or someone yeah. to they pour him a drink. You know what? She should buy him some. Yeah. Buy him or buy him some new glasses. The least that would be the nice thing to do. The least she could do. We ruined your life <laughs> for this. Sh- it, you know, it's a shitty role anyway. Okay. <laughs> you got out okay, Donald. It's not good. <laughs> you got. You're actually lucky that you're blind, <laughs> or you would be in this terrible play. <laughs> Uh, after she does a little fishing, Donald reveals that he and Guy traded ties so that they'd have one of his possessions as well, and Rosemary is horrified. She takes some money and her pregnancy suitcase and makes a break for it. And I love this little moment here where the building itself looks so sinister as she exits into the hallway and calls the elevator with the red light for her descent. It's very like, ooh, hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's creepy. Yeah, it's a creepy set. Yeah. When she goes to see her doctor, she has to wait in the lobby, where, by way of small talk, the receptionist mentions that she hopes the doctor takes her example with the charm and stops smelling like that stank-ass devil's pepper. Mm-hmm. Rosemary understands what this means and flees the office in fear, going to a payphone and calling Dr. Hill instead. And this whole scene was shot in one take. It is remarkable. Mia Farrow is so incredible in this scene. God. She didn't get the Oscar for this? Nope. That's insane. (laughs) That's insane. Don't give it to Barbara Streisand. Mm. She's so good in this. And just like, she's like, I know it sounds like I'm all cracked up and all this stuff with the uh, Dr. Hill. Dr. Hill. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that phone booth scene is amazing. Yeah. She begs him to let her come explain what's happening. And she says, I know it sounds crazy, but I swear to all the saints that I haven't flipped. And this this one line that she says, there are plots against people, aren't there? Like this mm-hmm. desperation for someone to confirm what she's feeling is just so powerful. And, and it's just such an amazing moment. And he does. Or at least he claims he says, <laughs> He says, well, he says, sure, I think. Yeah. Or whatever he says, something <laughs> not, like, not like, no, you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. He does agree to see her that night. And you can see just how terrified Rosemary is when she freezes at the sight of an elderly person waiting for the phone behind her, not knowing if he's in on this. And in fact, that is producer William Castle in a cameo. Mm-hmm. I love a Castle cameo. <laughs> Who doesn't? Wow, oh, man. It's like it's uh, second only to Hitchcock cameos. Yeah. I also love that she asks the cab driver to wait and make sure that she actually gets in, that she's so worried about this that she thinks she's going to be straight up abducted off the street. She's not wrong. Yeah. And she reveals everything to Dr. Hill, including Guy's lie about going to Hollywood so that she could see Saperstein, the Sabbaths that they held next door, Guy's complicity in exchange for success, the whole deal. I love this scene. They just hold the camera on Mia Farrow and just let her go. And she's doing this incredible nervous rambling that is so true to life. Like, it feels so realistic to have this, this... all of her stuff does. Even the stuff that is not natural, it feels natural coming out of her. She's so good. It's great. And she's so scared that no one will help her. And when it seems like Dr. Hill does believe her, she literally cries like relieved tears and has to wipe that away. Played by Charles Grodin, who has a very funny mustache he in this sure movie. Does. He grows it. The first time we see him, no mustache. Second time, little thin, wispy little guy there. Yeah. (laughs) And Dr. Hill says, look, I don't believe in witchcraft, but I do believe in crazy people. So let's see if we can get you into the hospital tonight and you go rest. And this is another great moment for Mia Farrow where she reassures Andy or Jenny that it's all going to be okay. And she's clearly reassuring herself more as well. But this moment of connection 
you know, if she doesn't have that feeling and we don't believe it, then it makes it a lot harder to believe the entire story and, and her fighting so hard to to keep this baby for herself. Yeah, well, she's like, mommy will kill anything that tries to get at you or something like mm-hmm. that, which is very good motherly instinct. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. She falls asleep and has a dream where she and the baby are surrounded by people when the door opens and the lights turn on and who should walk in but Dr. Saperstein and Guy called by Dr. Hill, who thought she was delusional after all. Really a tragic moment, and what a betrayal by Dr. Mm -hmm. Hill here. Yeah. The doctor quietly threatens her to come home, or they'll have to put her in a mental hospital, he says. But by dropping her purse, she distracts the elevator operator, Guy and Dr. Saperstein, and then gets into the elevator without them and heads for the apartment. And the score during this moment, with like the trumpet wailing during this like great jazzy uh, moment, it's just... Kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere, but I love it. It'll, that also feels very European to include that in a chase sequence. Kind of calls to mind a lot of the Argento Giallo stuff where he would include jazz during the chase sequences, too. It's a great score. Yeah. Yeah, the whole way through. This is the moment that I've called out, but really the whole time the score has been really excellent. She locks the door with Guy and the doctor on the other side, telling them to go to hell. But there are coven members inside the apartment already, and the rest sneak in through the hidden entrance. And this... Seeing them walk behind her is terrifying because the camera doesn't change at all. It's totally flat to watch them sneak behind her, and, and it's super effective that way. It's great, yeah. Great reveals. Yeah, yeah. He he has a very deft hand with that for sure. The coven members restrain her, and Doctor Saperstein sedates her, and she goes into labor. The frenetic energy of this scene is wild as Rosemary is thrashing around, begging to be taken to the hospital, while Guy answers the phone to fend off the friend that Rosemary tried to call. And very, again, powerfully in this connection between mother and child, in the heat of this moment, all Rosemary can think to do is ask for Andy or Jenny's forgiveness. She wakes up and Guy is at the foot of her bed and he tells her it was a boy and it's all right before she falls back asleep. But when she wakes up again, this time it's Laura Louise sitting next to her. Lousy Laura Louise. Laura Louise. Laura Louise, Louise man. Uh, there's a Laura Louise on my block growing up. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If she, not devil wise, but just meddling and just being, you know what yeah. I mean? Sticking her nose where it doesn't belong. Sure, sure. So Rosemary asks after this baby, and Dr. Saperstein has to come in, and Guy comes in as well, and they say that it was stillborn. And incredibly fucked up, the doctor says, if we'd been in a hospital, maybe I could do something. But here, uh, like she wasn't begging to go to the hospital. Right. (laughs) They also both go, oh, don't worry, you can just crank out another baby in a few months. No, no, no problem. (laughs) No, just don't even think about this. (laughs) truly horrific go to bed we'll talk about it tomorrow or something yeah just like they just no one is reacting to the fact that this has been an incredible physical and emotional ordeal this is a terrible thing yeah that could happen to a woman and there's no you know i think it's always held light it's carried lightly you don't realize how intense all these moments are until you've like gone through them yeah you know what i mean like she has no no time to grieve. Like, as far as she knows, this was the death of her child. And they're just like, oh, don't worry. You can have another one in a few months. Like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. Chill. Yeah. Chill out. That was Fine. Andy or Jenny. Like, it, she had yeah. named it and connected with it. Of course. And- yeah. 
she doesn't believe them though that it's baby or that it's dead. <laughs> she believes it that it's baby. She doesn't believe that it's dead. Mm-hmm. And Doctor Saperstein drugs her again. A few days later, and she's lethargic thanks to the drug. As Guy again says, "Hey, don't sweat it, babe. By the way, have I told you how great my career is doing? We'll just have yeah. a kid in Beverly Hills." Great. <laughs> oh, awesome. Also, he's like, "All it's all this stuff was just prepartum depression, yeah, and stuff, <laughs> and that she was just going through a crazy time and chalk it up to hormones or whatever, and we'll move on and it'll be okay." Classic guy. Classic guy. <laughs> I like when he goes to leave and she asks to see his left shoulder to look for like a mark of the beast, <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. like, uh, "Okay," and he does it, and there doesn't seem to be any marks on him, and this is a great moment because she starts questioning herself as well. And you can see her being like, was I just chemically imbalanced? Like, is this a hormone thing? Maybe guy is right. And then to have the pendulum swing the other way and have the baby crying while she watches like the weather channel and and, mm-hmm. and wonders about it. It's just so tragic and impactful to, to see this like faint glimmer of hope and it, it constantly getting pulled away from her. Well, it's kind of like I would know my babies cry. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure. It's just like a motherly thing. Sure. She also noticed that they're taking her pumped breast milk, but don't seem to be dumping it. And she's she stops taking her pills that they've been giving her. Guy mentions some new tenants have moved in, and she asks if they're the ones with the baby. He asks how she knows that, and she says that she's heard it crying. But she is sure that her baby is alive and has been given away, and that this is her baby. Like you say, she has that connection. She feels like she would know it. In the closet that had been hidden by a dresser at the beginning of the movie, she finds a secret door into the Castavets apartment, and there she finds the whole dang coven, including the Castavets themselves, are back. Dr. Saperstein and Guy all gathered around a bassinet with black coloration and an upside-down cross, which is very funny to me, (laughs) this way this is set up. It's cool, though. (laughs) It's a cool, funny... Yeah. I'd say it's a good, creepy, like, use-your-imagination type thing. Yeah, it is fun, and I like that... You know, Rosemary looks inside and she sees that its eyes are all fucked up, but that they're not like shoving a prop down our throat. They're really letting our imagination do a lot of the heavy lifting. You know, we saw the devil's eyes earlier. We see another flash of them here. And is there a flash? I didn't see the flash. Is there a flash of the baby's eyes? Well, the thing is, is that it's impossible to know if it's the baby's eyes or just another flash of the devil's eyes from earlier in the movie. Right. Like, oh, I've seen these, this type of eyes before. Right. Right. I get you. So it's, it's interesting. And, And Roman says he has his father's eyes. And when Rosemary says guy's eyes are normal, Roman goes, Satan is his father, and his name is Adrian, and he's going to overthrow the mighty and lay waste to the temples and redeem the despised and wreak vengeances in the name of the burned and the tortured. And it's just so out of left field. <laughs> like, Roman just goes off the rails here, and, and he's yeah, so he's excited. excited, man. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. It's, year it's a one, pretty baby. big day. Year one, year one, hail Satan. That's right. God is dead. Hail Satan Satan lives. The year is one. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. It's pretty crazy. He's like, yeah, he's like in charge. Yeah, he he sure is. And Rosemary collapses in a chair. And Roman says, hey, why not help us out here? You don't have to be a real Satanist, but just be a mother to the baby. And she's sitting there sobbing and Guy tries to comfort her. And she spits in his face. Rad. What a great moment. Wow. I love it what so a much. The uh, feeling when she does that to him. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, good. Fuck you, guy. <laughs> Fuck you, guy. Wow. Yeah. There's no coming back from that. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Right? Well, I don't know. Who knows? Know who knows? Uh, <laughs> who because- <laughs> knows? Not, a, not enough flowers in the world. <laughs> 
Well, the baby starts to cry because Laura Louise is rocking him mama like a wagon wheel over there. She's Ugh, going just, crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. Laura Louise. Terrible. Uh-huh. Secret biggest villain. Minion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. Like a little Beazle bub. <laughs> and so Rosemary gives in to her instincts and she rocks the baby herself as everyone looks on in delight. And she smiles in resignation as we zoom out. End of the movie. The end of the world is nigh. That's the end. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Great. now the Antichrist is born. Mm-hmm. It's super fun. I, I love this This ending on such a bleak note. Is a gr- is such a good move to me. I love that it feels so in line with the rest of the movie. And now, Matt, we've reached the point of the episode where we sum up why this is not just a good horror movie, but is, in fact, the best horror movie ever made. And I'm going to let you start things off. Oh, man. I think it's a a sophisticated, psychological, yet highly entertaining blockbuster horror movie uh, made in the vein of an amazing era of cinema that kind of helped kick it off. I would say that the look of this film and the way it moves... Uh, is definitely a precursor to the whole 70s Hollywood, which, of course, Roman Polanski ends up, you know, making his mark on as well in a uh, what is at least top five of that era mm-hmm. if in, and a top of all time. But this is a across-the-board masterpiece in storytelling and horror. Without, it doesn't fuck around, and it is sure of itself and it is creepy and everything everybody and everything works so well together the the score the direction the acting the casting just everything it's so amazing the directing so much yeah it's just the sets the it's very confident it's not trying too hard and it's scary in and of itself and it kind of is grounded in a way, yet there's mysticism, but it is very grounded in this world mm-hmm. and this world's wants and cultures. And it's just like a, a, a fun moral question. It has that moral question hanging over and creepiness and you want and people that want there to be spiritualists and spiritual things and crystals and ways to get what you want. Yeah, I totally agree. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because it's just such a powerful story and it it drags you into it so easily you know roger ebert doesn't like genre movies a lot of the time and we tend to give him a lot of shit for that on this show but one of the things that he's most well known for is his quote about movies being empathy machines and i think that Mm -hmm. this does such a great job of bringing us into rosemary's world and the emotions that she's feeling and even if we haven't been in the exact same position that she's in obviously but you know sure there is or if you have or if you have reach out <laughs> you know uh i don't know if i want to hear from people who've had devil babies <laughs> i think i think that they should all reach out to you <laughs> and that you should be the one that takes care of them oh okay yeah all right their stories be heard <laughs> sounds good we'll have a call in app patreon right <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but yeah i uh i think that it, it does such a great job of you can feel what she's feeling in such an incredible way and that is what makes the movie scary. You know, there there is an element of being like, ooh, Satan is real and everything. But 
the the paranoia that she feels and the powerlessness is where the fear really comes from for me. And the idea of this whole situation being out of her control, despite it being so gravitating around her, it's it's just fantastic. And the performances that prop that up are just out of this world. And I'm sure any pregnant woman, like you said, you feel the empathy, but you like feel the physical like pain that she's in. You know, like there's times where she's just writhing in pain or looks like she's in pain. You're like, oh, I know what that is. Or like, oh, that seems like a fever dream or whatever yeah. it is. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I think people, why it sticks with you is it captures those things and you can relate to it. And you've been like, oh, I've had something if felt like that before or something. And I know how terrible it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's so alone. Yeah, that isolation is really powerful. And I think that it's captured incredibly well. It's scary, importantly, I think. And, yeah. uh, and that's a good mark for a horror movie. Yeah. Finally, fuck you, Roman Polanski. That's my final yeah. thought. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. <laughs> um, awesome. Matt, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Please tell people if you have anything you want to promote, where they can find your social, all that jazz. You know, follow me on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Matt Kowalik. Boy, will you be rewarded. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just I'm just writing a bunch of stuff right now. And, uh, you know, support yeah. IATSE. They need a working wage. I stand with them. I've started out as a writer's assistant, been PA, all that stuff. It's tough, long hours. Yeah. They're paying the same that I was getting paid 15 years ago. You can't make a living off that. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that's about it. Thanks for having me. Really fun show. And, um, you know, have a great Halloween. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> first of all, I totally agree about the living wage. I have a few PA friends myself here in the Philadelphia area. And uh, I agree that they should not be constantly worked to the bone. You know, <laughs> it's it's no. outrageous the hours that I've seen them have to put in. And I would like to see my friends again. So <laughs> I tell you what, I bet Roman Polanski doesn't care about the IATSE mm -mm. and their needs. Yeah. Him with his 50 takes. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's absolutely right. So I stand uh, in solidarity with that as well. And uh, people should support them. Yeah. As far as my actual plugs, you can check out Little Horror PHL on Twitter. There is also a Patreon, as Matt mentioned, which you can find bonus episodes, including we just did one about Resident Evil 2, both the original PlayStation game and the remake that came out recently. We also just did a live virtual legal thriller episode where we uh, argue back and forth on a, a litany of topics. And uh, you can check all that out for just a few bucks at Patreon, Little Horror PHL. That's it. Thanks, everyone. And uh, yeah, have a good spooky season. Ooh. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.